One day, when he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present in him to heal the sick. Now, some men came in carrying a paralyzed man. And they tried to get into the house where Jesus was so they could lay him at his feet. But when they couldn't get in, because of the crowd, they went up into the roof. And they lowered him on a mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think, You speak to blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, uh, and Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Get up. Say to your man. And go home. Immediately the man got up, took what he was lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone Phil's done that every day for us this week, so it's great that he could come for three days and do that uh, uh, presentation of this amazing passage that we read in Luke chapter 5 we're going to look at today. Before we get into that, I thought I'd uh, share with you some stuff out of my cupboard. See, uh, at home, I've got some props here, at home I have a whole collection of bags. Do you have a cupboard at home which has a whole collection of bags in it. I'll show you some of the bags that I've got in my house at home. Um, I've got this bag. I mean, some of these bags I've had for a very long time. I mean, some of these bags I've carted around from house to house to house. You know, some are recent, but some have been with me a long time. This is a... Uh, oh, yeah, this bag. Uh, this bag is the bag of relationships that I've destroyed the bag of relationships that I've destroyed. You know, where I said something stupid, I did something really dumb, and that relationship was ruined. Uh, and I carry that bag around with me. It stays with me. Hard to get rid of. That's one bag I carry around. I'll show you another bag I've got. Uh, I've got this backpack. <laughs> this backpack. The trusty backpack of self-focus. 
This is the backpack where, you know, I just all those different moments where I've really just concentrated on me. They've got a special pocket here which you look inside it says, screw you, let's talk about me. Do you have a backpack like that? All those times where really it's just all been about you. And it doesn't really matter too much what damage happens to others. It's not really. Got one of those backpacks? Show you some other bags I've got. Uh, I've got this bag. Yes, this is the bag. The bag of things I wish I'd never done and that I can't undo. Things I wish I'd never done and I can't undo. That stays with me. That's hard to get rid of. Maybe got that. And then I've got this whopping great big suitcase. The suitcase of dark thoughts. And it doesn't matter how much money you pay me, and I mean this, in all seriousness, you could offer me $1,000, you could offer me $5,000, I will not share with you everything in this suitcase. I just don't want you to know the dark thoughts that I've had at different times. I can't undo those thoughts, I can't get rid of those thoughts. I just keep filling the bag. We've all got lots of bags, haven't we? Lots of bags that are hard to get rid of and we just carry them around from place to place. I've got other bags at home in my cupboard which actually were not of my choosing. Bags that were thrust upon me. Bags that I've inherited from other people. Situations where I really, it was not of my choosing and I was, I was a victim, really. And I sometimes have to carry those bags too. But these particular bags are bags that I've bought and bags that I've chosen to fill and they stay with me. I really would like someone to do something about my bags. I really would like someone just to say, you know what, I will get rid of that stuff and you don't have to be troubled by it anymore. That would be good, wouldn't it? If you have bags like that, you'd like that to happen? See, Jesus of Nazareth turned up 2,000 years ago in a particular part of the world announcing that he had what is known as a gospel, a good news announcement. And part of the good news announcement he said that he had was that he could take our bags. He said, I can give you the divine forgiveness that you really need. When you're faced with that cupboard of all those bags, I can give you the forgiveness that you need. That's what Jesus said he came to announce, to give as a gift. Now, how can, I, how can I help show you that he actually said those things? How can I prove that to you? Well, we're going to look at the Christian scriptures, we're going to look at the New Testament. Over these first five weeks, we're exploring some different passages out of Luke, the historian sort of account of Jesus' life and teaching, his death and his resurrection. And we're going to focus in today on Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 39. So, if you've got a Bible, it would be great to open it up. And we heard part of this passage just recited for us by Phil, so hopefully. Uh, Luke 5, 17 to 39. And really, this is part two of something that we started last week. Last week, we looked at 
this, what is this good news that Jesus said he came to announce last week? We saw that Jesus gives you the freedom that you actually crave. He gives you the freedom that you crave. That's what we saw last week. This week, he gives you the forgiveness that you really need. That's what we do. Now, I've just made some notes up here. When you look at Luke's account, he, does, he very, tells his story in a very sort of thoughtful, organised sort of fashion. And you'll notice the passage that we're focusing in on, chapter 5, 17 to 39, it really the, it has two scenes, two main scenes, sort of on the edges, of both of which involve a crowded house. So in the first one that we've heard recited for us, Jesus is there, uh, he's teaching, you'll notice in the first verse, verse 17, which we saw last week, that's Jesus' job, he's a man with a message and he was announcing this good news of the kingdom of God and he's healing, which was part of his demonstration that he could, could actually do um, what he was uh, coming to announce. <coughs> he's there, the crowd's there and a certain thing happens, which we're going to explore. Later on in this passage, there's a second crowded house scene where someone throws a dinner party, a party for Jesus, and again, you read there's large crowds there, lots of people. So this sort of story has these two crowded house scenes, but the theme is really the same in both of them. The theme is all about forgiveness. (coughs) Forgiveness for sinners. People who have bags, like me, like you. That's the theme that runs through it. Now, there's a couple of headings on your outline, well, they sort of, sort of fit what I'm going to talk about because um, I wrote those last Thursday and I've done more thinking since then. You can, if you care about these things, you can see how they sort of line up with these two crowded house scenes. Except that there's a bit of a gap in the middle when you look at the two crowded house scenes. There's a few verses that I haven't mentioned and sort of fits in the middle. And it's a bit of a sandwich and the highlight of a sandwich is never the bread. The highlight of the sandwich is in the middle, right? And if the highlight of this sandwich between the two crowd houses is in the middle. And if I talk fast, we'll get there. <laughs> or you can talk yourself and work out and see where I might go. Anyway, actually that's what we're doing, right? So I want you to see this sort of happen. We're going to spend almost all of our time thinking about this first crowded house scene where this issue of forgiveness is, is raised. The reason I spend there is, as I said, the second crowded house scene, even under its headings of focusing and feasting, it is also really about forgiveness. It sort of just uh, fleshes it out a little bit more. Okay? So we're going to spend most of our time on the first one. You see, I've broken it down into three sort of sections of this first crowded house scene. Uh, Jesus forgives, in capital letters, and then Jesus forgives, and then Jesus forgives. Okay? Easy for you to understand, hard for those listening to the podcast. (laughs) So, this is the sort of three sections. You got your Bible there? Let's have a bit of a look. Now, how does this work? What's going on here? How does Jesus say he's going to come and deal with our bags? Well, you you heard Phil recite the first crowded house scene for us. There's Jesus teaching this good news of the kingdom, lots of crowded people, and some guys turn up with their mate, their mate who's paralysed. Do you have do you have a friend who's paralysed? <coughs> I wonder if you actually know anyone who is paralysed. It is an incredibly debilitating situation because literally this guy could not help himself. He's completely reliant on others, and his mates love him and say, "Hey, we're going to get you to Jesus. He's this teacher, healer guy." He's healing all these other people. We've heard We'll get you to him. They turn up and there's just too many people there. These guys, they love their friend. They're not going to be deterred. They want him to get to Jesus. So they're innovating. 
they go to the roof, and it's fascinating sometimes with the details Luke records, he actually says they dug through the tiles. Like clearly those who were there at the time who Luke's spoken to, they can remember, they can remember seeing that, oh my goodness, the tiles are falling in from the roof as Jesus was speaking and we couldn't, he had to stop because, you know, the dust is falling in and all the roof's falling in and suddenly everything sort of ceases while this hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then this guy came through. I mean, it was a pretty unusual, Jesus did lots of teaching, lots of healing. This was an unusual situation. That's why it lives in the memory. That's why I think Luke told it. Not though, he's not told because it was just weird that someone came through the roof. The weird thing was what happened next. The guy came through the roof and if you were in the crowded room, you know what's going to happen next, right? Because there's the guy who's clearly paralysed. His friends have brought him to Jesus so that he could walk. He could walk out of there. And Jesus goes up to him and you think, right, well, Jesus is going to do what he does for all these other people who he's been healing all these people. And then Jesus doesn't do it. Jesus says to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, at that point, you've got to think, well, either Jesus is frankly pretty callous and the guy can't walk and Jesus has the power to heal and he gets all spiritual, well, your sins are forgiven. You either got to think Jesus is pretty callous or Jesus has profound insight into a deeper need. That Jesus actually, when he sees this guy, says, yes, you can't walk. You know what? That's not your only problem. The biggest issue are that your sins need forgiving. That you have bags. And you know what? I can do that for you. And so Jesus takes his bags. Jesus forgives his sins. Jesus forgives. It's such an unusual thing to do. So Jesus forgives this guy. Friend of sins of the And then, then the people who are standing around, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they start doing themselves, as you saw through the Cyprus, how can this guy do this? It's not right that he do this. Only God can forgive sins. And you know what? They're absolutely right. They're right that only God can forgive sins. So if I, you know, go up to somebody, choose somebody safe. <laughs> so I decide to go up to Richard who's over there because he thought I was going to go that way. I go up to Richard and say, hey Rich, I'm about to slap <coughs> him across the face. <laughs> and I slap him. <laughs> I didn't actually do that. <laughs> if I slap Richard across the face, and then Steph says, don't worry, Rowan, I forgive you. <laughs> that doesn't quite sound right, does it? The person who is offended against, it's their prerogative to forgive, not somebody else's. So when Jesus goes up to this guy who's, and says, friend, your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees and people are going, well, hang on, like, um, nice try, Jesus, but actually only God can forgive sins. Are you, are, are you saying you are, like, your God? That's blasphemous. <coughs> Hence today's talk time, right? Blasphemous Jesus. 
Only God can forgive the sins. And Jesus knows what they're thinking, and then what does he dance? He says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, let's just pull that sentence apart. That is, in some ways, the key sentence of this whole prayer of our sin. What's he saying there? He says, so that you might know that the Son of Man, in Luke's Gospel, when you read through, the only person who ever calls Jesus Son of Man is Jesus. It's a term that he alone uses about himself. It's like this, this, this phrase that he picks up and uses to reference himself, Son of Man. Where does it come from? Did he just pick it out of the air? No, he didn't. It comes from the book of Daniel. You have to go back to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel was an Old Testament prophet. He has a couple of sort of crazy wild visions that the Lord God gives him. And in one of these visions, if you've got your Bible there, flick with me back to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. 13 14, Daniel chapter 7. This is the background for Jesus' use of this phrase, Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7, 13 to 14, in this vision, Daniel writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, which is a way of talking about God, and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Here's some guy, the son of man, who is given incredible authority and power from the one true living God. And notice, what did Jesus say? In Luke chapter 5, says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority. Right? Authority, same word used back there in Daniel 7. So that you might know that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he's saying, I'm that guy. And so that you might know, he then says to the paralyzed man, get up, take him back, go home. And the guy does. So you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, because I can't, you can't see his forgiveness. You can't see the fact that I really can give this guy divine absolution. You can't see that. But you can see me heal him. I will do this healing to show you that I can do this other thing. And he says that, you know, which do you think is harder? And some people say, well, you know, healing a guy, that's pretty hard. It's, it'd be easy just to say, oh, your sins are forgiven because no one can see now other people say, well, lots of other people could do healings. It's, well, not lots. There are other people who could do healings. So the harder thing would be to forgive sin. But I think the point is, Jesus is saying, they're both impossible. Like, can you heal somebody? Can you just say, get up, take your mouth, go out? Can you say your sins are forgiven? You can't do either of them. So I'll tell you what, to show you that I can do the one thing you can't see, I'll do the thing that you can't see. It's evidence that he is the Son of Man with this authority to forgive sins. And if I take up his mouth, and he goes like, get the point? Jesus has the authority to take away my bags. He really can offer divine absolution for all of my sins, for all those things that I can't get rid of. He can actually deal with them. How do I know that? Because he could heal this guy who couldn't walk as evidence that he's the one with the authority to do it. 
Jesus forgives. This Jesus can forgive. And then Jesus forgives. What I want to do here is take a step back, right? I'll let you through that first sort of story, that first sort of episode. Take a step back and think about what's the significance of what Jesus is doing here. Clearly, this was a profound life-changing moment for this guy. He came paralysed, he walks out of there healed. But more profoundly, he comes with his bags that he can't get rid of, all of his sin, and Jesus forgives them. That's amazing. What's the significance of it? Is it just amazing? Or is there something more even exciting going on? And I want to suggest to you that there is something that truly should make you go, woo! 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 At this story, right? That's what you, like, instead of sitting there as you want. So how am I going to help you understand that? Well, partly it is, you've got to understand all of the Bible. You've got to understand the Scriptures well. If you know your Old Testament well, when you see Jesus do this thing, you get uber excited because you knew your Old Testament. If you just think this is just a weird thing that Jesus did, that's because you're, only, you're not steeped in the scriptures that God's given us. Right? So we need to know it well. Three things I want to point out to you then. Three things that just sort of step back and, wow, that's amazing, Mark. First thing is this. The two things that Jesus does here with this guy, he forgives his sins and he heals him of his physical illness. They are not unrelated. They are actually two parts of the one thing. Two parts of one connected thing. What's the connected thing they're part of? It's that God had made promises about what would happen when he is king. What would happen in his kingdom? And physical healing and forgiveness of sin are part of that same picture. Right? You know that if you're a Christian because what you're hoping for because of the scriptures in the new creation is, yes, a perfect relationship with God and also no physical pain or illness of death. Right? You know those two things go together. But you know that that actually comes from the Old Testament. So you've got your Bible there. Turn to Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33. You can see these two things come together as part of this one big picture of what happens when God is king. Isaiah 33, verse 20 to 24. Isaiah 33, 20 to 24. Let me read it for you. Look on Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem. A peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. There the Lord will be our mighty one. It will be like a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with oars will ride them. No mighty ship will sail them. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. Your riggings hang loose. The mast is not held secure the sail is not spread. Then an abundance of spoils will be divided and even the lame will carry off plunder. And here's the verse that connects them. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. You see, when the Lord is king, 
no one will be ill and sins are forgiven. And then Jesus turns up and what does he do? He says, so you mind that the Son of Man, the one who's going to receive all this authority about, so you mind that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he heals the guy his lame. You see the mug when he heals it, you go, oh, hang on, Isaiah 33. What's going on here? Is this, is this that promise? Is, is, is that happening now? Really? Go to Jeremiah 33. Another second sort of step back and think moment. Jeremiah 33, the next book in the Old Testament from Isaiah. Jeremiah 33. This time verses 7. Oh, it's interesting if you read verse 6 actually, but we'll start from verse 7 through verse 9. Another promise. The Lord says, I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. Let's just pause there for a sec. If you know your Old Testament, you know the story, right? God's chosen people to uh, divide into two kingdoms, Israel, the North Kingdom, Judah, the Southern Kingdom, all part of the people of God. But because both kingdoms actually wandered away from God, went after other gods, idols, stuff like that, refused to honour God as God, they ended up in exile. <coughs> and so here God made a promise that he will actually bring them both back from exile. Right? That's what he's saying. So it's a promise of the return from exile. Picking up in verse 8. I will cleanse them from all the sin that they have committed against me and will forgive all the sins of, of their sins of rebellion against me. You notice that what's connected to their idea of them coming back from exile, of God fulfilling this promise, is that their sins are forgiven. So you see, if you were a Jew in the day of Jesus, had all of God's Old Testament promises been fulfilled? Well, hardly. The Romans are ruling over you in your own land. You're, you're unoccupied, you're in occupied territory. So you're still looking for the great day of God's promises and you know that it's connected to when God forgives sins and here's this guy saying the Son of Man has authority when your sins are forgiven. You go, hang on. Is this the moment? Is that what's going on here? And the answer is yes. If Jesus is the Son of Man who's going to establish God's kingdom, receive that eternal rule and here he is doing this very thing. You see, that's why you go... Man, this is huge! Not just that this guy walked out of here and this way and he sins you. That, what does it mean about what time this is? It must mean that there's actually now forgiveness for, for not just that guy, but for everyone, isn't that? Like, isn't this the great moment of God's fulfillment of his promise? This is a huge moment. And you notice there, I'm just going to jump ahead. You notice when you get down to the second crowded house scene, and this guy, Levi throws for Jesus, this party he throws for Jesus, he invites all the sinners. All the sinners and tax collectors, they're the ones who meet with him. Now, tax collectors, I need to explain a little bit about tax collectors. Tax collectors were um, not viewed very favourably by the Jews. I mean, of their own people, but they were basically hated and despised. Why? Because tax collectors, they worked for the occupying Roman forces. But they were traitors to the national courts. So you hated them for that. Secondly, the way tax collectors function was they had to give a certain amount of money to the authorities, right, the tax that they collected, but they were given complete freedom about basically how much to charge individuals. 
They charge you as much as they like, give what they had to, and then they get rich off the, off the rest. And that's what they need. So tax collectors were very well off, very rich, because they ripped you off and they're working as traders. Not very popular people. Right? Levi invites all these tax collectors who are despised, and all these sinners, people who are despised, and they have a party with Jesus. Why? Well, Jesus' answer in the focusing section down from verse 29 is, he says, because this is what I've done. I've come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Jesus has come announcing this great moment where actually now forgiveness is on offer. And then in terms of why are they feasting? Why aren't they fasting, you know, doing religious sort of fasts that the Pharisees and John the Baptist and said, why are they not doing that? Jesus says, well, because this is a great day. I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm giving out forgiveness like this. This is a great day of celebration. You should be excited. That's what's going on in this moment. See? So let's bring that back to us. Let's think about us for a second. I wonder whether you think you have bags like I have bags. <coughs> I do meet people pretty regularly, actually, who tell me, you know what, I don't really have bags like that. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I, I look around and I think, well, they're a scumbag and they're pretty mean to their boyfriend and they're pretty... I'm, I'm pretty good. <coughs> Often I think what the problem is that we look sideways. That's how we compare ourselves. We just look sideways and go, yeah, I'm doing all right. So if I'm doing all right with respect to my judgment on you, then I must be doing all right with the ones that are life. We look sideways. It's very interesting that Jesus told a story later in Luke's Gospel about that very thing. He told a story in Luke 18, you can read it for yourself later, about two guys who go up to the temple to pray in Jerusalem. The first guy who goes up is a Pharisee, who we meet in that story we had today from Luke 5. Pharisees were religious holy people. Right? They kept the Old Testament law to the level. Like they were super holy. Like you compare yourself to a Pharisee, you go, oh no, that's a, that's a good person. Right? Pharisee goes up to the temple to pray, and also a tax collector. Now, as soon as I say tax collector, given what I told you before, your response should be, mm. <laughs> So, two people go, a Pharisee and a tax collector. <laughs> as soon as Jesus just says that bit of the story, you know the outcome. They've gone up to the temple to pray. Well, I know who God gives the tip to, that's the Pharisee, he's the holy one, and who's the one basically kicks butt on that tax collector. And what is it, Jesus? Jesus says, the Pharisee goes up and the Pharisee prays like this. He says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people, that I'm not like adulterers and thieves and, and not even like this tax collector. I thank you for that, Lord. <laughs> and the tax collector, when it's his turn to pray, he won't even look up. So he looks down and he beats his breath and says, Lord, have mercy on me. And the kicker in the story is when Jesus says, and you know that it was the tax collector who went home right with God and not the other. That is like, whoa. The Pharisee didn't go home right with God, this holy guy, because he exalts himself. 
He looks sideways. You see? The problem is you need to look up. But when you look up, that's when you look down. So earlier in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 10, Jesus affirms that what are the things that God really wants from us, from you, from me? The two things, God only wants two things from us, according to Jesus. The two things are, first of all, just love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So thoroughgoing devotion to God. And secondly, love your neighbour as much as you love yourself. That's all that God asks. That's how to live as his creature in the world. Those two things. Simple. And trouble. <coughs> because do you live like that? Do you live like that all the time? No, I don't live like that all the time. I wish I did, but I don't. That's why I've got bags. I might pretend when I look sideways that I don't have any bags, but the reality is when I hear that standard, when I look up and see, then I realise I've got all these bags in the cupboard. And I can't do anything about them. How can I fix that? That I don't love God that way, that I don't love my neighbour that way. What can I do about it? I, I know, I could pretend that they don't really matter. I'll just look sideways. That's just dumb. I'll try to make up for my bags by doing all this other good stuff. But the Pharisee didn't go home right with God. You see the problem? I can't do anything about these bags. But then Jesus walks onto the scene and he says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Who did he say that to? A paralysed guy. Why did he say it to that guy? Well, the text tells you, Luke 5, he said, Jesus saw their faith. That is, he saw the faith of the guy and his friends. I take it that this was a group effort. They said, we're going to get you to Jesus. They didn't take him, I think, against his will. He said, awesome, Jesus can heal me. They had faith according to what they knew of this man, Jesus. So they carried him there, Jesus sees their faith. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. You see, it's faith. It's faith that Jesus then gives forgiveness to as a gift. You know what's in the middle here? The middle of those two crowded houses, did you work it out? Verses uh, 27 and 28. Jesus meets this guy, Levi, who's a tax collector. (laughs) (laughs) He's a tax collector. And Jesus kicks him up. No, he doesn't. Jesus says to him, follow me. And we read it, Levi got up from his tax booth. Jesus actually met him right at where he was collecting the taxes. He got up from his tax booth and followed him. It's Levi... And it's all about following. That's what faith looks like, see? It looks like following Jesus, leaving behind everything else and deciding to follow him. He left behind his secure financial money tree. He left behind whatever status he had in his own eyes. He decided to leave it all 
and trust Jesus, follow Jesus, and then he throws a whopping great party because he knows Jesus has come for the sinners, offering forgiveness to those who repent. So let's wrap this up for us. What are you going to do about those relationships that tragically you destroyed? (coughs) What can you do about that? The fact that you destroyed those relationships. What can you do about the fact that you've been so committed to your own self-justification in so many moments of time? What can you do about the fact that there have been so many times where you've just been proud and actually refused to genuinely be sorry? What about the times where you've just been complacent and you've just let injustice prevail around you? What are you going to do about the times, all those times, where you've had those horrifying thoughts. The horrifying thoughts where you've been jealous, where you've been covetous, where you've been hateful, or where you've been lustful, or where you've been selfish. What what can you do about those times? What can you do about all the things that you've done that you cannot undo? The relationship that did go too far the lie that then you had to back up with a whole series of deceptions. What can you do about the abortion that you had? What can you do about the theft? What can you do about that illicit relationship? (coughs) Friend, Jesus says to you, when you come to him in faith, your sins are forgiven. Like Levi, follow me, says Jesus. Leave behind that life, entrust yourself in faith to me, follow me, and you have forgiveness for all those bags. Jesus turns up and says, these bags, let me bear them for you. Take them for you. And where does he take them? He takes them to the cross. And he dies with them. And then
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus, in his own death, and the forgiveness that you now offer us. Please grant us eyes to see, minds to understand, and hearts that long to take that which you offer, and we can find nowhere else, that we might be clean and pure and start afresh with you. We pray it in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen.